Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is our personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am here uh, starting off with existentialism. Existentialism, and I want to say black existentialism, but I don't know if that's necessary. Um, but um, I am going to be talking through the lens of a black woman. And so uh, that might lend itself to talking about black existentialism. But anyway, the starting point is existentialism. So I'm going to give a definition of that after my disclaimers. Uh, let me do a little housekeeping. We have four more episodes, two days. And so um, one today, maybe if I can kick out another one tonight, um, that'll be great. And then two tomorrow and woohoo, I did it. Um, thank you for those of you who listened to my two from yesterday while I was outside walking in the wind with the dogs and the cars and the creepy car that was pulling up on this side of me. And that was a distraction. And I had some, I had, I had uh, some people who listened to the reflection right away. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so thank you. Um, the uh, episode was about, um, what was it about? It was about being orphaned and parent child relations. Um, even into adulthood when there's an issue of emotional um, abandonment, emotional neglect. And it's not my most robust reflection. Um, I was definitely moving my way in around in that reflection based on my own personal needs. But I hope to come back um, at another point to revisit it because I think there's a lot of potential with that discussion. I just, I wasn't I wasn't there yet. I was like at the, in, the initial stages of really thinking through um, being unparented, unparented, or what does that even mean? So, um, yeah, and 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 I don't know if I did a good job of this, but really wanting to hold on to celebrate and love on. Um, my parents in the in the presence of conflict and not knowing how to do that on my own and uh, there being no established pathways for us to really talk that through. I had a conversation with my mom this morning and it got a little intense. I was like, Ma, I should be able to talk to you, you know, without, without it going south. But in fairness to her, like, what does it mean to go south, right? So I'm able to sit in the intensity in intellectual intensity, I can't handle the emotionalism. She does the emotionalism and not the other stuff. So who am I to determine how we're going to move about? But anyway, that's that. Um, hey, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of uh, critical race feminism, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity to power as relating to social constructs such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, please go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right. <laughs> so 
So I want to do a little bit of playing around with um, the word um, existentialism and then existential. Okay, so let me give you the definition for existentialism, a philosophical theory or approach which emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of the will. Okay, and let me read to you existential. Existential concern with existence, especially human existence, as viewed in the theories of existentialism. So when I um, when I say ex- existentialism, I am not talking about this theory, right? I'm not talking about this formalized theory of the in- individual as it relates to f- being free and self determining. What I'm saying is the, for me, I'm saying existentialism as in the condition of being aware of my human existence. Just that the state of being aware, the active state of being aware that I exist as an individual, I'm human, I'm here. And oftentimes, well, I don't know oftentimes, but I'm curious or I'm wondering if, like even when we talk about personality theory, I'm situating myself within the context of personality. But that's not all that makes up me. I could talk about my my, my professional work. You know, I'm situating myself in terms of work. I could talk about um, my spirituality um, I can situate myself in terms of God and spirit. And all of that's fine, but all of that is deter- determines how we're grounding ourselves in terms of what does it mean to be? Who am I? And it's that question, that active questioning, that commitment to seeing myself as an individual as opposed to not. And I want to do one more thing. I'm reading from a website. What I read initially just came off of Google. Um, so that was from Google. But there's an article that just popped up, um, and it's connected to Carl Jung, so I was intrigued by it. And the title of the website is called Existentia. Existentia. And the title of the article is How to Become a Person, Jung's Individuation. And so I'm just going to read the first paragraph as it feels uh, relevant for me. Answers are to be found um, wait a minute. Okay. Answers are to be found in the theory of individuation of Carl Jung. Process of individuation is a term from the psychology of Carl Jung, which describes process of becoming aware of oneself, one's own functioning, and the ways in which we can discover one's own inner self. Uh, Since the beginning of mankind, there were people interested in the most intriguing question, who am I? This question does not have an an easy answer. However, Jung's process of individuation offers some clear guidance. In order to understand it, one has to understand some of the basic concepts Jung used. And so then the article goes on to talk about ego, unconsciousness, consciousness, the collective consciousness, and I'm not. So... um, so go check out that article um, um, if it's intriguing to you. But it's relevant for me because um, one of the things that I am sitting with, I'm sorry, I'm walking through my house right quick. 
Okay, now I'm sitting down. One of the things I am contending with in my vacation time, and I'm like, um, I'm just, I'm at, I'm just at so much peace. Like, um, just been doing cleaning, and you know, when the house gets clean, then it's just good energy and just it feels really good. And so I have uh, now I have mental space to really ponder. I'm not, I'm still doing a little work processing, just a little bit. But for the most part, my mind is open to contend with some things that are that need my attention. And as I said in yesterday's reflection, that um, one of the part one part of my existence that I have not figured out is the play part, the social and the play. And I believe that that becomes difficult for me because of the work part of me. Um, and the work part of me is heavily tied to advanced learning and advanced thinking, advanced skill set. Um, and remind me at some point, this is a side note, but I'm not even going to, it's so side, it's such a, I'm not going to take myself off a of track, but there's something I want to process with you <laughs> anyway. Um, so being engaged or uh, committed um or experiencing these advanced skills, um, this ad- these advanced degrees, this advanced way of knowing. And it doesn't mean that I'm all smart. You already know how I can mess up a word. I can mess up a sentence better than most people. But it can go without saying, whether we like it or not, that I do have advanced degrees. I do have advanced skills in uh and in terms of um, maybe communication skills, critical thinking skills, analysis, and then um, I do have advanced, um, yeah, thinking skill set and degrees. So anyway, and that feels kind of yucky for me to say, but here's why I'm saying it, even if it feels a little, like I said, a little gross, a little self-aggrandizing, if you will. It's because those skills get in the way when I'm trying to interact with people. And because I don't recognize that I have advanced skills, I don't consciously recognize it, I don't talk about it, I'm not aware of when they serve as barriers to me interacting and connecting with another person, okay? Because in my mind, I'm normal. And if in many days, in my mind, I don't know enough. I'm very well aware of how much I don't know in the world. So I think I could go out interact with other people and we're we're good and but then I start using these skills and these concepts and then I don't understand why people have a hard time understanding it and so um, I was reading through some old poems today I, oh gosh I would love to talk to you about the state of my writing and um, so I was tr- I want to put some stuff on the walls I want to put I wanted to put some of my poetry on the walls but really my poems really represent a different time of my life where I was plagued by sadness. And now I don't, I still can get sad. I think as a perceiver in the margins, that person who is um, in the social margins and I'm a perceiver, I'm an NI dom. I see things that can, that are not, that can make you heavy. My, my aunt told me I should study Jeremiah in the Bible. He was a, a weeping prophet. And that the prophet is a person who sees, and he, I, I've never studied him, but to her point, to, 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 you know, using, trusting what she's saying, that he cried a lot. And, um, 
But when you are a seer and you're surrounding about a, surrounded by a lot of um, in um, toxicity, harm, and suffering, how do you see those things and not suffer them? Now, most of the time as an INTJ, not most of the time, well, my TE goes into action before my FI will. So my FI will val- validate a thing as important, but my TE will go into action. Let's go, we're going to problem solve that thing. But there are some things that are right beyond my scope, beyond my reach. And there is no trying to, there is no problem solving that. I was talking to a, a young lady today and it, it was, it felt slightly defensive, but then I'm like, well, what she's saying may not be defensive. It might just be a fact. And she was like, I can't solve all of the problems. I'm just one person. She's, I'm just one person. I can't solve all the problems. And of course you cannot solve all the problems. So that's what makes me, that feels defensive. So then why do you bring it up? But the reality is that might be something she's wrestling with. And so, and I'm going to, and I don't have a lot of time just to linger here, but, you know, I've been thinking about, um, Equity is in education is this big buzzword in education. Everybody's talking about equity. Yet equity, in, excuse me, inequity persists. How do you have so many people talking about it, getting paid to do it, um, theorizing it, and the the state of inequity? It, it, it continues to grow. Something is off. And so anyway, I want to park that because I feel like I want to make a connection to that, but I'm feeling a little bit all over the place. But I think as a person that can have a wide, excuse me, um, I have a wide scope of the world and I have an in-depth scope of it as a, as well. Um, it can it can be um, it can cause for some some grief, and I'm pausing because I'm thinking: Do I have a wide scope of the world through NI? Because NI is a is about depth, but I think that my SE inferior SE is scanning it. I'm not experiencing it more than I'm I'm scanning it. And it could be my my training or whatever, but I do believe I have a wide scope of the social world as in a, the structure of it. And so maybe that's not scope. Maybe that's actually depth, right? When you think about the macro layers of the social world, is that scope or is it depth? I think an argument can be made for either side of that. But none, nonetheless, um, so in the scope or in the depth, whichever way you frame it, there's only so much I'm going to be able to do with my TE. And then the rest, the residual or the remainder is left there for my FI. Right? What does my FI do with the remainder? What's left after the TE is done what it's going to be able to do? So all of that brings it back to me and and as I focus on my own existence and my own quality of life and I was reading yesterday I think I mentioned I was doing some reading about 
being orphaned and um, most of the literature out there about being orphaned as an adult isn't really what I was looking for. I'm looking for the experience of being orphaned when you have living parents, not when your parents have passed on. But nonetheless, the readings were interesting yesterday. And so what they say is that when your parents begin to pass on, then there's a, an, a level of growth that happens inside of, uh, in you. And I witnessed that in my grandmother when she passed in 2017. I am not the woman I was before she passed. I was very spoiled. <laughs> you know, um, I just am a different person. And I even, to a certain extent, wonder to what extent am I different now that my dad has moved on. You know, I'm not sure because he wasn't a real presence in my life. Um, but I'm pretty sure that there's, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, pretty sure that's had an impact. Well, one of the things they say in the literature is that you start looking at life. Like, am I making them, you know, this is also part of the midlife quote unquote crisis, right? But you start realizing your own mortality and you start looking at choices that you're making and start asking that question, who am I, who am I going to be, who do I want to be? Um, and all of that they were associating with experiencing the death of a parent. So part, of, I think that that's also what I'm going through. You know, when I did that episode on midlife crisis, it never occurred to me that that reflection could have been about me Moving on in a world after my dad has passed on. It didn't occur to me that that's what it could have been about. But based on the literature, it sounds very midlife-ish when you start asking these um, existential questions. So I'm on vacation. One of the things that I'm doing, you know, I'm, I have time to think about what is it that I want in life? Like, okay, I can keep talking about building, you know, um, purpose and Becoming secure in the world and having my bundles of toilet paper. If you don't understand that reference, you got to go back to some earlier episodes. Um, yeah, I can keep doing that. I can even talk about relationships. I even know I'm, I'm making zero effort. I mean, zero effort to do relationships. And I got to, I got to work on that because it's, it's important. It, and it's not just important in general. It's important to me. But the, in addition to work and relationships or work and love is this notion of play and nothing like that's hitting me. Am I able to play the way I want to play? What does play mean? And do I have access to play? And I really am struggling with the idea of access. Not from a financial point of view, but in terms of community. And I meant, I may have mentioned this yesterday, but this is just where, this is what is on me as a problem to solve. And I feel like I need to look up the word peer. And I talked about this. I don't know if it was the begin. it was the beginning of 2021 or the end of 2022, and I researched what does it mean to be a peer, like how you live in neighborhoods. Typically, the neighborhoods that you live in, you're living amongst people that are um, 
like or similar socioeconomic standing. Um, and that's not completely. So, yeah. And I definitely, definitely see the advantage of living with people who are of similar socioeconomic standing because um, I don't even want to get into that, but I can definitely see the benefit of that. And I can see the challenges when you're not um, living amongst people who have shared experiences. Okay. That's a little tricky. So you start having to look at what's called white flight. When black people start moving into a neighborhood, it doesn't matter the socioeconomic status. It's a, then it's not about a socioeconomic sharedness. It's about race. And that complicates this conversation. So we, we won't touch that. But having similar uh, experiences in terms of work, education level, right? Um, I have I have found that the more advanced, oh my God, I got it. Oh my goodness. The more advanced that I have become in my education, the more disconnected I've become from play. Not because I don't want to play. I love play. I'm a big kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love playing. Um, I, and maybe, maybe my, my definition of play, maybe it's changed, but I don't play. I don't play the way I used to, and I'm missing that. And so for me, playing is to have an abandon, to be, to have an abandonment, to be carefree, um, to not be bound by an image, not to be bound by standards of, of, of employability or employment, like just to be carefree, um, and no masks, no mask. I can be my most essential self. I can laugh. I can enjoy myself. I'm not trying to do any, um, messaging out. Um, I'm just enjoying life and I'm not burdened with any kind of expectation that's on me. And I feel that the higher up in uh, my in degrees or my employment, I'm I'm disconnected from that ability to be carefree, which is probably one of the reasons why I like um, to travel. And even if I'm com- even if I do the work to push through that carefreeness, how do I find other people who want to do that? Because most people. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say most people because I have no idea what I want to talk. But let me just say this. Um, so I'm in my hand. I have a book from the late Bell Hooks, and it still feels horrible to say the late. She just passed away in December, Bell Hooks. And the book that I have in my hand is called Writing Beyond Race, Living Theory and Practice. Living Theory and Practice. So I'm in the part of the book that's talking about black self-determination, right? And um, you think about existentialism, being able to be in control. The determinism becomes a part of that, right? Do I, do, you know, do I have the will or the freedom to become that which I believe I am? And so what she's saying in this, in this particular book is that the higher up you go as in, in, um, in terms of black, hold on, let me find it. 
She's talking about the higher up you go in terms of power. So whether that power is determined by income, by neighborhood uh, status, by employment status. But the higher up you go in power, the more uh, in alignment you are with systems of oppression. And you have to maintain that alignment. Um, and then, um, and then the higher up you go, the room for you to occupy spaces at, in the upper rankings, at the, in the higher, in, um, higher up in the hierarchy, it becomes more competitive. Well, it becomes competitive by nature because the higher up you go, the more narrow it becomes. But racially, it becomes even more competitive because there are fewer spots for other African Americans. Then African Americans start competing with each other. And in that competition, what you do then is then you start devaluing the other person's worth. And my goodness, you can't. So then you talk about playing with your peers. How can I play with my peers? If I'm now in competition with my peers. So that also then has, um, has an impact on this idea of play. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say as it relates to this book, particularly in her chapter, Black Self-Determination, is that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois assumed in this idea of the talented tent that there was going to be a percentage, a small percentage of black leaders who were going to be committed to the advancement of blacks. And he had to come back later and retract or modify that statement because what he was realizing is that those, that idea of leadership wasn't really about the advancement of the collective whole, but it was about indulgence and selfishness. And the talented tenth was not necessarily going to advance the whole, but to advance themselves. Right? That's fascinating. And then, um, hold on a second. And in in her book, uh, Bell Hooks says, "Let's be clear: Black capitalism is not Black self determination." And she talks about um, black genius. Let me read this paragraph, the part of this paragraph. Those individual black people who have come to power either in the academy or outside of it as cultural brokers of blackness. My God, that's deep. Cultural brokenness, brokers of blackness. And who have not linked their work to any efforts to enhance the well-being of masses of black people can do so precisely because there is no network of accountability that critically examines the impact of this work. Often, these individuals police and actively seek to delegitimize and silence the voices of dissident black genius, which both affirms black self-determination and consistently opposes imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. So those of us who are dissenters, um, disruptors, divergent, we then... This is exactly what I just wrote about. It's a piece that I wrote. I can't give you the title because it's going to be released under my name, predominant name, or my, my legal name. I wrote it. I started writing it in March. It's been done. It's been done since, I would say, the beginning of May. And I'm sitting on it just for, for a number of reasons. But there's a section in that where I talk about how 
this is so spot on. I might have to go back and, and, and do some citations here. And there's a section of the piece that I write that talks about how blacks who are successful in predominantly white spaces will publicly delegitimize black dissenters. I didn't use the word dissent, but I'm going to borrow this from Bell Hooks. Will delegitimize black dissenters, right? And I don't feel like I nailed it. This is what Bell Hooks is saying right here. Often these individuals, the ones who have made it in power, black people who have made it in power, will police and actively seek to delegitimize and silence the voices of dissidents, black genius. I have to cite that uh, because that's exactly what I'm trying to, I'm theorizing this piece, which is a piece about how uh, uh, African-Americans do racial politics in predominantly white spaces. So anyway, you, all of that is important because I'm like, I've been thinking, well, first of all, I'm recognizing I'm back in predominantly white space. I've said that recently where, you know, um, and I got to get going, but, you know, up until the breakup, I wasn't, I was living in white, I was, I was living in white neighborhoods. Um, and I won't say that I've ex worked in exclusively white spaces, but I've, I've worked in spaces where, um, whites were the majority and that they had, and they helped and they were in the positions of authority. So to live in it, to work in it. And then, um, I would say starting in 2015, I started going to predominantly white religious spaces, churches. That's a lot to live in it, to work in it, to pray in it. If we have any kind of acceptance that racism is a very real thing in our culture, impacting how we, we, um, how we experience life and how we experience living. And so when I moved, um, a couple of years ago into, um, an all black neighborhood, I found myself breathing differently. If there was a level of consciousness that I am not holding my breath. I'm more relaxed in this predominantly black neighborhood. And I had never, I'd never known that I was not relaxed. I didn't know I was holding my breath. I did not know that. And that's exactly what it is when you're working in a predominantly white space, living in a predominantly white neighborhood and worshiping in a predominantly white congregation. Is that a bad thing? No. But what does that do for the psyche and the state of one's existence if you're not fully breathing, that you're holding your breath? All right, we can unpack that in another time. So all of that is important to me right now because what I'm doing is I'm questioning, well, you're not playing. Well, is the reason why you're not playing? Because you're in these all white spaces that aren't completely open for you. They're not income. They're not completely inclusive. They're not completely welcoming. Okay, fine, whatever. Then why do I just skip my butt off into black space? Well, is that viable for me as a uh, person that is, you know, I don't feel like I have the highest ranking position. I don't, but I think 
uh, I definitely don't now, but I think my, my degree and my past experience make it look like I'm a competitor, right? And, and, and I have had to accept to a certain extent I am a competitor, but I've always been interested in just competing with myself, being a better version of than I was the day before. I could care less about competing with Sally and Tom in my mind, you know, but no, so now I can't play with you because now I'm competing with you. I don't know. It's just something that I'm, I'm just thinking about. And how do I reconcile that? How am I going to reconcile that I need to play? I value play. I think it's critical. And I'm going to play in a space that I'm not fully breathing. What did I say play is? Being a, a feeling carefree and being uninhibited to experience life. You're going to do that when you're not breathing? Or you can, now the opposite, the other option is we're going to do that in the space of competition. So finding other people who are welcoming culturally, you culturally, cultural peers, if you're a peer to me culturally, professionally, academically, and now we're not going to compete and we're going to play together. That's hard, but that's just something that I'm like literally trying to contend with. They say INTJs are problem solvers, right? So I'm trying to contend with that part of problem solving. I said is naming the problem. I don't know what that's going to mean, but that's what it is. And so, um, so anyway, that's what's on my mind this morning, like existentialism, like being like, what is my existence outside of work, outside of love? What is my existence outside of play? And how do you problem solve that? I don't know, you guys, but if this reflection is at any value for you, give it a heart. <laughs> if this idea of um, taking pause to consider your own existence, your own individuality, your own person, um, what you want to be, if that, as it, as it intersects with race, as it intersects with gender, I didn't talk about the other, I talked a little bit about I talked about class. I did not talk about sexuality, right? As it intersects with all of these different structures that we've created in the social world, what does it mean to be in the intersection of these structures? And the other part of the question is play. How do you play at the intersections? Oh, that's good. Playing at the intersections. Mm, mm, mm. at the intersection of inclusion versus exclusion, competition versus, like, how do you play at the intersections? If that is a connect, if this is, if that topic connects to a conversation you've, that you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. My moving about in randomness has inspired some randomness. <laughs> oh God, please take, uh, please find a way to share it with me. I'm laughing. Because somebody has been, I think it's just occurring to me that they might be sharing with me their randomness. And so I never even thought to say this. So if you share with me your randomness, let me know. Like put your randomness in context to my randomness. I'm kicking out a lot of episodes. I would love to know the randomness connection, right? You don't have to say, uh, this is why I'm thinking this. But you can say, 
I was listening to this particular episode. I was listening to this this particular section in the episode, and I started thinking. I had this random thought. That's all I need because sharing your randomness with me without me knowing the context of that randomness, I have no idea. I I do a lot of randomness, right? So it just occurred to me to qualify this. I have never never considered it. I do want your randomness. And I think I have somebody who's been doing that. And I'll go, I don't get it. <laughs> because they don't they don't say to me, I'm giving you some randomness. <laughs> so when you give me that randomness, please continue to do so. But kind of give me a little context. Like, let me, first of all, let me know it's randomness. Let me know what episode inspired the random, randomness. And then if you could tell me what part of the episode inspired the randomness, that would be all the better. So I definitely want the randomness. But I probably do need a little context if we're gonna, if I'm gonna be able to connect to it. If you don't need me to connect to it, just send me the randomness. Um, that's fine too. Um, you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, yourinidom1, oh, Facebook and YouTube, yourinidom. Let me give you your assignment. What does it mean to be? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to exist? I'm asking for your definition. For you, what does it mean to be? What does it mean to exist? And for me, existence is comprised of work, play, and love. But what is it? What What is your composition of existing? What is your composition? What is your relationship to the to that composition? Are you where you want to be? What's holding you back? What do you need to consider? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.